Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide podcast, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name is Phil, I'm a mixing engineer with Vortis Sound Studios and I am not joined by Joe this week. He is, um, you'd have heard him by now anyway. Um, instead, I've got an interview with Andy of She Burns Red. Now, I could talk about how I am and how the weather is and all those British things, but I'm not going to bother. Uh, we're just going to go straight over to the interview. So here we go. So today I am joined by Andy of She Burns Red. Andy, how are you? Um, very well, thanks. In this strange time. Yes. How are you, are you enjoying life in, in lockdown? Kind of am. Yeah. Okay. It's, not, it's not too bad. I mean, <laughs> what can you do? You've just got to get through it, I guess. There's nothing else for it. Yeah. Got to keep positive. That's the key. How are you? I'm I'm very well. Yeah. Doing great. Um, actually kind of enjoying life in lockdown. I don't know if you meant to say that, but there we are. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess probably the best place to start is the beginning, as always. So how did the band start? Where did you come from? <laughs> um, it- came from James, the bass player. He was jamming with a couple of guys, uh, Gordon and Paul, and I was doing nothing. I'd stopped playing for about maybe four or five years, just didn't want to do it anymore. And he just said, you fancy coming along for a jam? And I was like, that sounds great. Hmm. So I did, and it just kind of went from there. Um, that was a while ago, though. It was 2015, <laughs> I think, we started. Um, so it has been a long sort of journey to get to this point. Yeah. So how did you find getting back into the idea of being in a band and, and playing after a break? I didn't realise how much I missed it. Um, I guess just got there. started going to the gym more and doing other things like distractions, but it wasn't until I really got back in, it's like, oh, I've been wasting my time doing other things because this is what <laughs> I'm, this is what I'm really thinking I'm good at. I'm not really good at anything else. So I guess you started jamming and you started working out what you wanted to do. We had an episode very recently about starting a new band and what you might do. Yes. So how how did you start? So you obviously started jamming, maybe some covers, or where did you begin? No, straight in. It was straight in, but because it was three of us were um, lead singers in different bands and the main writers, so we had just loads of ideas going about, and there was no sort of we didn't want to be tied to a genre, I guess. We just wanted to try loads of different types of songs and different things, which we'd done for a while. Actually, it was great. But then, obviously, life takes over, I guess, a bit for people. And, you know, the age we sort of, we are now, like, I'm sort of, let's just say mid to late 30s. <laughs> and obviously, you know, the guys started having families or getting married. And, you know, they had other things to worry about than being a band. But me and James are just kind of always stuck with it. We just love it that much. So, you know, we have went through quite a lot of different uh, members of the band. And it always seemed to be when we started to get somewhere, something would happen, which it, it gets frustrating, obviously. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a band's not that important, sometimes, I guess. Um, so you managed to um, get jamming and get kind of throwing ideas around. Yeah. And then you eventually pull together enough to start gigging, I guess. Yeah. Oh, you only need, what, maybe five or six songs, really, for your first gigs. If you're doing 20-minute tw- slots, which... I'll be honest, I prefer a 20 minute slot, 25 minute slot, just get in a really tight little set and then you're off again. So, but because we've all done it before, there was no, there was nothing new to us. It wasn't any pressure. We just kind of really got on it and really enjoyed it. You kind of relaxed into it, I guess. Yeah. What was the very first gig like? <laughs> if you can remember. I think it was the Dreadnought and Bathgate. 
I can't remember, man. That's really bad. No, I think it was in Bathgate, actually. I dreamed that on Bathgate. Uh, it was great. It was, I'm sure it was pretty packed as well, actually, which was good because we're sort of from that area. Okay. So it was great. You were already kind of known before you started gigging, as it were. Yeah, we've also got a lot of friends in that area. So it was great to get back in it, obviously, and just doing something new as well. It's always good. Different ideas. Because the last band I was in, I was writing all the songs mostly and all that. What's coming to the band when there's loads of different ideas getting chucked in, it's so much better. More a collaborative effort, I guess. I was going to ask that, actually. That was my question. So you when you when you sit down to write songs as a band, do you do you just sit down in the same room? I mean, not at the moment, but do you sit down in the same room and how do you do that then? What's your process? So really, I just either somebody comes up with a riff in their house or whatever, or even come up with a riff at practice, I guess. But mostly it's like you come up with a riff at your house and you've recorded it to your phone, chuck it in the group chat, and then it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. So then you'll just generally start working around that. Or if you have a lyrical idea, I guess, or a verse, anything. And we just, we like to build the songs together so it's everyone's involved, I guess. I just think when there's loads of ideas getting chucked in, it's better, rather than somebody going, this is a song, this is how it goes, that's what you play, get on with it. I much prefer when everyone's got an opinion. And I think I think it makes the quality control a bit better as well, actually. I think, you know, people have different strengths as well, whether it's for arrangement, whether it's a really cool either guitar, but whatever, drum section, I just think it's better everyone's involved. But that's just... That's my personal opinion. You know, it will work differently. It certainly varies from band to band. I mean, I, I can attest that I've been in bands where there's one person in control of the songwriting um, and it's discouraged that you, you maybe uh, have input. So I guess you you appreciate everyone's input in the band. Yeah. And you, so you, someone has, say, a riff, for example, mm-hmm. and then throws it in the group. And then does everyone kind of start trying it and playing it and see what happens and then... Yeah, exactly. Just... It's never been difficult. Um, we don't write a lot. We're not a band who writes loads of songs and then dwindles it down. We tend to get something we like and then work it, just keep working and working on it, rather than just having loads and loads of different songs lying everywhere. It's like we'll just focus on the one song, try and get to a really good point, and then you know make it better as it goes along. Do you find that sometimes there's like a section that you're absolutely in love with but you're like this is just not working in this song and you have to think about moving it somewhere else yeah what what we'll do then just i guess kind of leave it because i think you can just get frustration kind of creeps in i think and the more you try and force it you know i just don't think this is good i think it's got to have a certain amount of spontaneity spontaneity i was i was trying to think organic but there's not like a organic 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 that's a word so we'd rather it comes together natural sounding rather than being forced and just going, ah, that'll do, we'll just keep playing that because there's no point in that, I don't think. But you do get bands who write loads and loads and loads of songs, but we're just not one of those bands. So you tend to, as I say, you tend to kind of take a particular idea, a particular song, whatever it is, and then you you, you refine it um, and then you maybe come back to it maybe even a long time later and go, oh, let's pick this back up again and see what we can do. Yeah, and we used to, it was great. We used to practice in a place in Edinburgh who recorded the full uh, rehearsal, basically. Oh, nice. And you'd get a Dropbox link that evening. And it was great because I don't know how many times we've been in a room and a really cool riff comes out and over. You're like, oh, that's amazing, that's amazing. You need to remember that, then you forget it like 10 minutes later. Yeah. It's just the worst. So it was great having that to listen back and say, oh, that was it. And you could really pull songs out of that, I guess. Yeah. It's that objectivity, isn't it, of being able to kind of 
listen third person i think that's probably the right phrase to something you've done and go oh yeah that's actually how it sounds when i'm not playing it yeah you do get lost in what you're playing i guess and that's the only part you really concentrate on i think it is good to hear take that time to listen to different aspects of the song what everyone's playing some folk can get quite i don't know the word touchy but if you try and suggest they play something different a lot of folk get across with that but we're we want the song to be as good as it can be so any suggestion is a good suggestion if you try it and it fails that's fine but at least you've tried it yeah absolutely i think the mark of a really um I guess confident musician is someone who is willing to play something simple and maybe less flashy than they might want for the sake of the song to make it better. I'm very simple. (laughs) (laughs) As long as it works, as long as it works, that's all you need. Yeah, you know, we're not a band that makes things overcomplicated for the sake of being overcomplicated as well. We see songs being pretty simple. If you've got a really great hook or a great chorus, you can build it from there, basically. That's how we kind of go about it as well. I guess when it comes to songwriting, there's there's almost two two camps, two sides of it. So there's one side which is the songwriting and the the putting the music together, and then there's the other side which is the lyric writing, putting the kind of the words to the music. Do you view those as two kind of separate areas, or do you fuse them together in some way? Again, because it's quite a collaborative way we do things. Um, we found most of the time that I'll write a piece of music, James will count lyrics for it, and vice versa. James wants a really good musical part. I tend to put lyrics for I don't know why this happens. It's just a really weird thing we've kind of started doing. It, it works. Maybe it's because when you write something and you have an idea in your head, you kind of just stick with it and you can't really get away from the concept, I guess. But then when a fresh period of years hears it, you might hear a different way of phrasing words, a different way of the song sounding. So I think it's quite good. Take yourself out the song, I guess, and have somebody else put their stamp on it. A, a fresh kind of third person view i guess yeah definitely but obviously there's there are songs we've done all ourselves that you know i've written music and lyrics mm. and there's again songs that james has done that with as well but we're just very much like doesn't matter where a song comes from as long as we got a song that's going to be looking as long as it sounds good yeah i think that's the main thing really as simple as it sounds as if you've got good songs that's that's it you're set really in that way aren't you yeah i know that there's two principal vocalists in the band so is it that whoever writes the lyrics get to sing it or what's the what's the decision making there because that is quite unusual yeah it's just whoever sounds best singing it i think james has got a really high soaring voice and i've got the more i guess gravelly low down voice and um, <laughs> more of a lemmy oh, i wish <laughs> i wish it was that good so i tend to do most verses i think hmm. and james will do the big choruses because like i say we're about chorus that's the main thing we try to get in a song that is a good chorus that doesn't it does make sense to kind of make the chorus soar yeah it's a focal point of a song man it's a bit everyone goes from whistling um, that's true that people remember so i think what i'm saying is if you use your best weapons for the every situation i guess so going back to kind of gigging for a second and you don't have to answer this if you don't want what was your hardest gig that you've had so far all right so <laughs> Oh, God. We got booked to play this, like, tribute band festival in Hull. Oh. It was the oddest thing ever. So everyone was just, it was like families. It was a family sort of festival, I guess. But all the adults seemed smashed. They were just, it was (laughs) carnage. So we got told, you camp in that field, and we're like, okay. We set our tent up took our stuff down the stage and it's like right you're on that stage yeah? it was this weird little tent huh. behind behind the main bar and <laughs> we're like what time we're on it looked at the times it's like oh 
we're up against a Queen tribute band. That could be difficult. <laughs> but it actually turned out they weren't that great and it started raining. So everyone's going to the bar, started to listen to us and they just came in their little tent. And actually, it started with about three folk watching us in the first song to actually the tent being pretty full. So it was just a weird, weird way to do a gig. But the whole scenario and the whole tribute festival thing was just odd. It, it Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard something like that happening before. <laughs> yeah it was but it was it was all right i mean people seem to be having fun so who am i so it was a bit of a success in the end it turned out all right as worried we were about the queen band <laughs> it was all right in the end <laughs> it, it turned out okay but yeah no that was that was just a weird gig but no there's, there's not been any gigs we've been that worried about just we're there to enjoy it we won't have fun on stage and even if it's a small crowd and they're not digging it we'll still have fun they don't care can't argue with that. It's a night out. Yeah, that's very true. So do you have a simple setup as a band and do you know kind of what each other is doing when you set up for a gig or is it a bit whatever needs to be done? No, it's really simple. I mean, I've got one pedal board with a Helix digital sort of fetch unit. So it takes minutes to set up and then just tend to jump on help with symbols to get them set up. Just trying to do it as fast and efficiently as we can, I guess. And then it's just a quick line check and then check the microphones and that's us. I mean, there's no loopers going, there's no backing tracks. It's really simple setup. That really helps though, doesn't it? Because there's less to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, and we're not fussy. Um, like I've watched some band sound check and it's they've went over their time. It's been ridiculous for small little things. And you're like, just what, what are you doing? Does it sound all right? Yeah, well, get off and let us on now. Sound check. <laughs> that can be frustrating. Yeah. But yeah, we're, um, we're quite punctual as a band. We like to get there on time and get things done. We don't like mucking about. So I guess you've got that thing where it, the place to kind of really spend some time shaping your tones and focusing is in the studio when you're recording. But when you're gigging, it's it's more about efficiency. And as long as it sounds all right, then that's fine. We want it to sound great, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, man, there's... You probably know yourself, there's been time to be on stage and the sound on stage has been unbelievable. But it's the gig's been really flat. And then there's times you've been on stage and the sound on stage has been absolutely dreadful, awful. You've not heard a thing. But it turns out folk, people really enjoyed it. That's all That's all you need, isn't it? <laughs> In a way. But it's, it's the strangest thing. Um, yeah. I've came off stage so angry some nights with the sound, thinking it was the worst sound ever, but it turns out it was great. How, how do you deal with it when you, when you can't hear yourself? That's got to be a pretty kind of panicky moment when you go i i can feel what i'm playing but i can't hear it i don't think that it's not something you're taught it's not something you're told to deal with it's, it's just it's difficult you just need to try and get sound engineers attention as much as you can but then you always do the, the thing everyone does you try and start jacking your amp sound up till it's nearly blown you start screaming more for your for your throat but i don't think we've, we've never had any disasters that way i don't think it's been that hard. we've always kind of managed the situations i guess so it's yeah it's been fine that's it. But I've now probably completely jinxed myself. So the next gig we play, everything will probably go on fire. No, oh, well. Stuff will blow up. <laughs> so kind of moving over to the, the studio and the studio experience, how do you record as a band? Because there's loads and loads of ways of doing it nowadays. Well, when we first started recording, it was just a case of booking the studio for a weekend. We were lucky enough to practice at a place where a lot of studio. It was, it was really reasonable prices. So we would just go in and try and record as much as possible in a short space of time. Then when my good friend of mine, Andy, joined the band, he taught us more about actually recording the song on the computer first, like on Reaper or, you know, GarageBand, actually work on your parts, 
get the song sounding great, get your tempos perfect. So when you go to the studio, you're completely prepared and you're not wasting time. You're not like, oh, what did I put here? What did I do this? So we started tracking everything. And that really helped uh, when it came to the studio. But the last time we recorded was with Toby Jepsen uh, of Little Angels and Wayward Sons. And that was a completely different experience. That was the first time I actually went and used the producer. So we were sending him tracks a couple months beforehand, sent him a lot of the tracks, and he just basically thought, picked the tracks he thought he could work well with. Yeah. Um, sent us ideas back and forth. We would work on them, just record them even in the band rehearsal room on our phones, send them down till he got to a point he liked them. And then the first day in the studio, we just spent about three or four hours on each song. We recorded four songs, so it was a long day. Just random and random, changed different things, different bits and, you know, changed the arrangements. So that was a completely different way of doing an actual proper pre-production, I guess you could call it. Then it was just getting scratch tracks done and then Hannah recorded the drum parts to a click track and then we just overdubbed everything after that. It was a completely different way for us doing it. Hmm. Because most things, I think we just done live recordings in the studio, just you know, isolated the drums and guitar amps and just went for it. But yeah, this was a total different way to do it. We stayed there for the full week, so you were you were kind of immersed in it. I guess it was great. I loved it. I loved. Um, I sort of looked at it as a holiday as well, actually, which was brilliant. But um, no, it was brilliant, amazing experience. Uh, it's definitely something I would recommend to any band out there as using a, going through a producer. So, what was your biggest kind of takeaway about your? time working with him what was your base positive i guess oh there's so many positives just a lot of us actually getting rid of parts of the song we didn't need just even if you play the riff, a riff was getting played four times even cutting it down to three could have a big effect in the song um lyric wise i learned a lot about writing because i think a lot of times i wrote songs i was kind of i guess i was a bit down on myself in the song sometimes and I, lyrically there was quite dark i guess and he Say, look, just try and be a bit more positive and, you know, put a, a, I guess be a bit more positive and cheer up a bit, I guess. That's what he's trying to say. So I've done that. And lyric-wise, changing the way I write, I guess. Um, but yeah, I took a lot of, from the arrangement side, um, cutting parts of the song out, getting to the chorus faster a lot of time as well. Shortening intros, you know, under 10 seconds a lot of time. Yeah. Just so your vocals are in straight away. That's that's what I've yeah I've heard that a lot that you're meant to keep the intros fairly short so you can just get to the meat of the song. I think that's something to do with Spotify though or something. Yes, yes. Um, so there's the the thing where people stop listening after a certain amount of seconds, and I can't exactly remember the number, but it's just there's a stat out there. You can find it online. But some, <laughs> if, if if a song's got an amazing riff at the start, you want to hear it. You know. I think it depends what audience is listening in a way. So mm. if you're if you're someone who's more into metal and sort of hard rock yeah. and things like that, then you're going to be listening for you know the big riff, the thing that catches your ear. But if you're maybe more of a, a pop slash kind of lighter rock kind of person, mm. then you might be listening more for the lyrics and the the vocals and things like that. That's not universally true, but I imagine that's the difference. Yeah, I guess if also when it comes down to radio play as well. Yes, they want to keep people's attention. Mm. So. Sort of, I can sort of see the point. I can I sort of can't see the point. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I would. I don't imagine a, a, a prog prog rock band doing a ten second intro. No, <laughs> you wouldn't be a prog rock band then. No, that's, that's dangerous territory. If you want to start doing that, man, it's, <laughs> don't do that. Moving into pop music, dangerous. <laughs> I, I don't mind some pop music actually. Oh no, no, no. The songwriting sometimes is unbelievable. 
great songs. Um, a lot of music- musicianship is unbelievable as well. And no, I just don't like when people just dismiss pop music, um, saying it's rubbish and whatever, and blah, it's meant for kids. I think some pop music's amazing. There's, there's a, certainly a lot to be said about learning from pop music songwriting. Yeah, I think definitely, yeah. I can't listen to it all the time, though. No. <laughs> there's limits. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so I happen to know, because I backed it, um, that the last EP you made was uh, started on Kickstarter. Yes. So what were your, is this, was that your first Kickstarter? That's probably the best place to start. First of all, thank you very much. No problem. For your pledge. It's a good good EP, so. Thank you. It was my first time using Kickstarter, but James, the bassist and other vocalist, he writes comic books. Hmm. So he's used Kickstarter quite a lot um, for various projects he's worked on and he's had a lot of success with. So he knew the ins and outs and how to do it properly. You know, not setting your limits too high and the, a lot of people have their Kickstarter for too long, I think, as well. And that apparently does things, I don't know. But it worked really well for us. The main thing I wanted to achieve from it was actually having good rewards for it. I didn't want people to feel like they've been shortchanged or anything like that. Um, a lot of folk are all about getting signed to a label, but there's so much you can do for yourself. We raised a lot of money not a lot of money but we raised enough to go down record for the week paying the recording fees production fees and you know getting the cd printed and all the artwork and things so yeah if you just got a, if you've got a really good campaign plan it plan it in advance so i can't i can't stress that enough i think a lot of people just jump into it really quickly and it's not it shouldn't be done that way it's all about the planning like most things actually but more so with kickstarter did you do lots of research on the way in to work out what kinds of things do bands offer on Kickstarter? Or? Again, James was pretty much all over this. He was, um, he's got a lot of experience doing it. So he knew what people liked, what people didn't like. Again, you know, a lot of folk think CDs now are somewhat of the past, but I think if you look at a CD as merchandise, um, that's possibly the best way of doing it. So we really wanted to have the CD looking really good, a little gatefold CD. What we found with doing live gigs is people actually, they want to take something home from that evening. So merch is something, when doing the Kickstarter, we would like to get merch right and have really cool t-shirts, you know, the CD looking great. So people actually enjoyed it more, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, definitely the merchandise side was a big thing. So what if you were to do it again, which I'm kind of assuming you would plan to do it again, what would you might you do differently? What have you learned from this experience in terms of Kickstarter? I think if we've done it again, we would definitely wait till we've at least done a couple more tours and more people get to know us. So we'll have a bigger pool, I guess, of people. So that involves going out gigging more, hmm. growing our fan base. Probably we'd do vinyl in the next one. It's an upcoming thing, isn't it, vinyl? Everyone loves it. It's merchandise again. It's, hmm. I don't know how many people actually play the record on a turntable, but they look good. They do look good. You get bigger artwork. So, so Kickstarter kind of lives and dies on how many people choose to back your campaign yeah um so i guess what you're saying is what you'd want next time is for there to be more people who are aware of your band to kickstart it yeah because that is the challenge i guess of finding enough people who would want to do that yeah and again i think that comes down to getting out and playing the good thing with our kickstarter was we're pretty quick we're getting the recording done getting it mixed mastered and getting the rewards out to people because I think if you take too long, a lot of people, when it comes to the next one, would probably think twice about it. Yeah. Um, so I think if you are if you have all your plans laid out and you deliver the reward on time, I mean, 
people don't expect it the week after they've pledged by any means. I think as well, if we're doing it again, I'd probably do a lot more little videos from the studio, but time was quite tight that time, so I didn't want to muck about too much with that. But I think next time we'd do a lot more, you know, either a video diary, keep you updated more. That's the one. That's what I'd probably do different. That's fair. That's that's That sounds like a really good thing. And I guess you're, it's the challenge when you're in the studio of trying to balance the... I need to get this thing recorded and it just needs to get done and there are people who want to know what's happening. Yeah, but the difficult thing is you're actually there to work and, you know, Toby is, he just wants to get in and work hard as he can and make the best product he can. So I don't know I'd be chucking a camera at him every five minutes. I don't know, you know, because you, you, you can become a bit of a pest and I think there is a point you do way too much as well. But next thing there would definitely be a lot more content. That's fair. You could always do the kind of things around the studio, like like let's go and get some food. Just little things that, that show you're actually doing something without getting in the way in the studio. Yeah. Yeah, you, you are there at work. It, it certainly wasn't a holiday camp by any means. <laughs> but hopefully it was fun. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was so good. Actually, the one of the best part was, was some of the stories we were getting told after it from Toby. Um, it was actually worth it just for that. Not just that, but we learned a lot from him as well the business side of things which was good um obviously he's been there done it uh, twice over now i think so that was you know a lot of that stuff can be quite invaluable a question that that is going to very much timestamp this interview uh, for future um how as a band are you being productive in lockdown what, what how are you spending your time because um, obviously there's two options really you can either get on with it and do something whatever that is or you can kind of pause everything and then wait for everything to kind of open up again well a lot of folk are doing uh, live recordings and facebook lives and stuff and i've it's just not something i've really felt like doing i'm not an acoustic player i don't enjoy doing that kind of thing myself and i think for our style of music I, i'm not sure it would work so i've avoided that but what I've been doing is, you know, I've been sending it quite a lot of emails, actually. Um, emailing different promoters, um, radio stations that are still obviously working. I've listened to a lot of your podcast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, learning and doing things for yourself, I think, is a big thing. Um, done quite a bit of writing. I've uh, done quite a lot of playing. I actually started learning more scales on guitar, which has been quite interesting. So I've been productive. That side of things, you know, things... Behind the scenes things, I guess, things that people don't really understand what needs to be done as well. So that hopefully when everything opens up again, for want of a better phrase, um, you can be sort of on the front foot with maybe gigging some more. And Yes, exactly. Well, actually, I've been booking gigs. We've booked stuff for September. You know, um, I'd rather have stuff booked and it can be cancelled as opposed to having nothing and then be scrambling for gigs if, if and when everything opens up again. Because I, I can imagine a situation where as soon as everything opens up, every band suddenly wants to find gigs and then you're on the back foot, as it were. Exactly. So I thought, well, we'll get some things booked. Um, and do you know what? It's just something to look forward to as well. Um, this has been the longest, I think, we've not practised in about, well, since the band started. But actually, both James and I have had quite serious operations and we weren't even not practising this long. So missing it so much and obviously missing gigging even more. So that's been quite hard. But no, there's there's lots that can be done. It's not a case that everyone just stops dead. There's plenty to do. I think, that, honestly, I think um, 
this is for anyone anyone who's listening who's in a band probably the worst thing you can do right now is nothing is you you can sit down and go well you know i don't know for the next few months <laughs> who knows um i we can't rehearse we can't you know whatever it may be so let's do nothing i think that's probably the worst thing you can do you'll be on the back foot as i say when things open up again yeah i mean just even just emailing if you've got songs out emailing reviewers like i say there's you guys podcasts there's loads of podcasts out there there is a lot of radio stations that are still open so you can do you can do lots of boring things <laughs> so what would you say is the band's biggest success so far and that, that can be absolutely anything i think working with toby to actually record in a proper studio um, with somebody who knows what they're doing and come out the other side with something we're really proud of that's probably the biggest success so far playing festivals is Again, that's unbelievable. I love playing festivals. Doesn't matter what time we're at. We could be on first, could be on last. Doesn't matter. That's a great part as well. But yeah, I'd say for the recordings are this thing I'm most proud of anyway. Definitely. Yeah. So because it's something you can look back on and go, that sounds really good, <laughs> and I'm I'm on it. <laughs> yeah. As it were. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I think as well. You know, I've I've sort of listened to back here, listened back to recordings for the rehearsal room and the songs that were recorded and to see how different they are now compared to the what they were back then that's quite cool to look back on and be like oh my god this is actually we're actually all right <laughs> we're not as shit as we thought we were so finally where do you see the band um this time next year hopefully we'll play down south a lot more i think that's an area we really need to get into more there's a lot more gigs and there's a lot more people down south and i think there's quite a big appreciation for the kind of music we're doing down south so definitely playing playing more down there. I think this time next year we need to start thinking about recording a second EP. I don't think there's any point us going straight to an album. I think we're still doing our four or five really good tunes as opposed to an album of 11 songs, which maybe aren't as good. That's probably two main names for next year is playing more and thinking about recording again. I guess putting out an EP as well means it's easier to kickstart, but it's also you can do it more often maybe than an album. Yeah, and I... <laughs> This part of me, like, back in the sort of 70s, 80s, an album was only eight tracks, really, but the tracks were unbelievable. I guess still phrases, all colour, no filler. So I think the EP, EP route's a good one for us, and it means you can, you're bringing stuff out constantly, as opposed to going away for a year, year and a half, to save money up to record another album. We'd love to do, like, every nine months even, try and bring us an EP. That'd be something we're waiting for, I think. It's what the internet prefers, is <laughs> more often releases. Yeah, I, th- I think it keeps things fresh as well. But yeah, the thought of being locked away for months on end, track recording an album just doesn't really... Not not your thing? Nah. Nah, I've got a really short attention span, so it's probably a terrible idea. Uh, so Andy, what track would you like to play? <laughs> what would what would represent the band, do you think, to people? I think, because you've been listening to me talk nonsense for the last little while, I think go for the song James Sings, Gone. Probably the heaviest one of EP. Cool. So this is She Burns Red with Gone. Andy, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it.